Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. This is Joe Lynch from the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's topic is five keys to direct to consumer success with AJ Kanajow. Hey, AJ, how's it going? Hey, Joe. Great. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. I'm glad we're finally getting to do this podcast. Yeah, same here. Excited. So, AJ, introduce you and your company. Yeah, my name is uh, AJ Kanajow. I am the founder of Fulfilled spelled F-U-L-F-Y-L-D. We're located in Huntsville, Alabama, and we are a company that helps e-commerce brands store, pick, pack, and ship their orders, their e-commerce orders, so they can focus on building their brand. Yep. And, you know, we're going to talk all about direct-to-consumer or DTC today. And I think another way to say that is people who do e-commerce, right? Yep. Correct. So before we go any further, AJ, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you went to school, how you ended up founding Fulfilled. Yeah, so grew up actually here in Huntsville. Never thought I'd be back, but here I am. Went to Auburn University for industrial engineering. And after I got my degree, I ended up actually in consulting out of Atlanta, where you know I got, quite honestly, very bored and had an opportunity with an automotive supplier. So I started at that automotive supplier as a quality engineer and then actually ended up pivoting into a technical sales role. So I supported the sales team globally. Uh, I was able to really travel the world and and see all types of different OEMs. I would meet with them on a regular basis. And that really kind of opened my eyes to logistics and supply chain. And I guess that's how I landed with Fulfilled. You know, it's interesting when we were talking offline, and I did not know this about you. I know your dad's had some success in the automotive business. I know you did some work with him, and you told me you had a chance to stay in Italy for a while. Yeah, yeah, I actually ended up living in Italy for about about eight months. I was there supporting Fiat. It was right after uh, the Fiat Chrysler merger, so it's a very interesting time. Ate a lot of food, <laughs> drank a lot of espresso. <laughs> you know, the reason I, I joke about this sometimes is when. I'm an automotive guy originally, and I always said, you know, when I had friends who were saying, you know, they're in advertising or they're in IT, they're like, I'm going to Silicon Valley. I'm like, oh, I'm going to a little town in Ohio. (laughs) That's where plants are. That's where the engineering facilities are. I was like, I don't ever go anywhere good. And nothing against (laughs) China or Thailand or a lot of the places I visited, which I did enjoy. But Italy is a special place, and I wouldn't have minded being stuck there for a yeah. year. Like, okay. <laughs> oh, I was not. It was not a bad place to be stuck. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So you were at this consulting company. You jump over and you start working in automotive. Learned a little bit about supply chain, and then at some point you said, "I want to start a company that supports e-commerce." Or what was the story there? Yeah, actually, it's interesting. You know, while I was working in that automotive company, I ended up starting a business at the time it was called Containers Plus Inc. And basically we did wooden packaging and kitting and things like that for the military. So we supported, you know, a lot of the military contractors like your Raytheons, your Lockheed Martins and Teledyne. There's a lot of them down in Huntsville. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So Huntsville is actually, you know, a hotbed for military. And, you know, as boring as that was, we actually had a customer who I met through someone I know in the automotive, actually, and he had a product and he, he's 
needed a way to get it packaged. So we were doing some kitting for him, putting it in retail packaging primarily. And from there, we actually, he, he came to me and said, hey, I, don't, I have all these orders. I don't know how I'm going to ship this stuff. And so me being me, I was like, oh, I can probably figure that out. You know, running to the post office, not knowing what I'm doing. I started researching online and eventually finally got a hold of someone at the post office. So we didn't have to do drop-offs every day, but it kind of snowballed from there. Saw an opportunity in the fulfillment space, saw the growth in direct-to-consumer e-commerce and kind of rebranded ourselves as fulfilled. So today, thankfully, we don't do any of the military packaging. We are a fully focused e-commerce direct-to-consumer fulfillment company. So we do do some B2B work as well, but it's really a complement to the direct-to-consumer space. Do you still do a little bit of packaging when necessary? We do, actually. And a lot of these kind of services are are very complementary to direct consumer fulfillment. So we do kitting, packaging. We actually manufacture custom packaging for a lot of our customers, all to support their brand and help promote their business. Later on, I think when we wrap up, but I think it's worth noting at least twice about Huntsville. When you think of Huntsville or you think of Alabama in general, there's always this sense, same with like Arkansas, Mississippi. (laughs) I live in Michigan, so I can say like, you know, in here, Detroit or Flint, there's this, oh yeah, these are backward places. These are places that are just, you know, yeah, that are not having the success that you see elsewhere. Huntsville is a tech hub. <laughs> I yeah. mean, we've always had military down there and it's a great place to live and you got great weather and yep. <laughs> nothing to be shy about down south anymore. I, we had the same conversation with Craig Fuller about living in Chattanooga. <laughs> He's like, yep. it's not what it used to be. And I think People my age, we grew up kind of hearing like, oh, the South's backwards. But in my travels, you go down and you go, what's backwards about this? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. No, Huntsville is actually a great place. It's very not like what you would think of when you say Alabama, which is good. You know, we need to let those outdated versions, all the cities, all the flyover states. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sure, we have more corn than other places. You can't (laughs) hold that against us. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right, AJ, before we get into um, topic five keys to direct consumer success, let's talk a little bit about DTC, what that means. I think we've been doing e-commerce for, you know, 10, 12 years, 15 years, whatever it is. It's still in its infancy. And I really never heard of DTC until the last year or so. So talk about that term. Talk about what that means. Yeah, so typically DTC, which stands for direct-to-consumer, as opposed to your traditional retail, direct-to-consumer is where the brand itself, instead of going through a distributor or a retailer, is shipping product directly to the customer after they place an order online. And they mainly sell physical goods versus services. They're vertical, so they typically produce, like I said, produce and distribute their own physical goods. Not really the same as a marketplace, but it's the brand itself. Most direct-to-consumer brands also have very small product catalogs as opposed to traditional retailers, and they avoid mainstream manufacturing. So they typically are buying product from a manufacturer. A lot of people, a lot of brands or companies rebrand those products and sell them direct to the consumer, whether they are selling on a marketplace or directly on their own website. And you'll see even, especially today, that the Direct-to-consumer brands appeal to younger generations a lot more, and they use you know ethical supply chains. They really promote their brand 
to connect with their audience. So, and you've seen a lot of these brands like Smile Direct, uh, Warby Parker, Dollar Shave Club, Touch of Modern. So, yeah, heavy so brands. All, yep, yep, and it really resonates with people, so they don't forget it. Yep, and I should mention the ethical supply chains. Younger people tend to be very interested in ethical supply chains, and I know wealthier people skew towards ethical supply chains. So if you notice, all the luxury brands are talking about their ethical supply chain. So a lot of people on this listening to this podcast are transportation logistics guys, and we serve the supply chains. It's just a matter of time. I just had the supply chain queen on here talking about this, <laughs> Sherry Heinish. And it's just a matter of time before the supply chains are going to say, tell me about you know the, the logistics. Is that also sustainable or you know ethical? Yeah. Minimizing footprint. Uh, and the impact of the environment. Yeah, it's really hard to market a ethical or eco-friendly product when the way it's transported is not eco-friendly. So you're definitely right. seeing a rise in that. Yeah, it's just a matter of time before they say you, you need to align. Yep. So what percent of all like CPGs is e-commerce versus retail? Yeah, so as of late, I guess the last figure I saw was around 10%. But really due to the pandemic and the situation that we're all in now, I think we'll see a very big rise in it. I know just from a fulfillment standpoint, we've seen the number of orders go up pretty, pretty significantly just due to the pandemic because a lot of people aren't leaving home and they're ordering online. And then you're even seeing new, a whole new wave of demographics ordering online, especially in the older generations. They are now, instead of going to the store, they're still, they're really ordering online and it'll show up in a couple of days on the front door. Yeah. So e-commerce really got a boost. The direct to consumer really got a boost during this COVID-19. And it's interesting. You mentioned the older generations. My mother is 86 and. Since she didn't want to be out and about during the pandemic, yeah, she started ordering stuff online. And so I think some of it was probably ordered for her, but she's <laughs> capable, I mean, of going online and doing it. Yeah. And I think there was a sense pre-COVID that, yeah, you're never going to get an 80-some-year-old person saying, yeah, I'm online buying stuff <laughs> from direct consumer brands. Well, yeah, and you're even now seeing, you even especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was more shut down than it is now, a lot of these traditional retailers had to really scramble, some of them better than others, and adapt. Even your smaller retailers just to provide, you know, shop online and curbside pickup. I know, especially restaurants also, a lot of them, especially the local ones, had to implement order online systems. And a big scramble kind of went to that side of the market. Oh, yeah. AJ, I think we talked about this when we were prepping. I have a friend of mine's son who's doing that DoorDash. Making mm -hmm. like 30, 40 bucks an hour doing it. Wow. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> hey. And, and you don't even see anybody because it's all like contactless. You, I don't know. If you, yeah. 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 <laughs> alert them. And I think people get very generous during this time with big tips like, hey, that guy's got to be out there delivering food. So I'm going to give him a mm -hmm. nice tip. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so give us a few more examples of DTC companies that are, that will be well known in the market. Yeah, so some of the bigger ones, you know, like I'd mentioned, Dollar Shave Club, there's Glossier. That's a very large one now. I'm sure everyone's cosmetics. Seen, yeah, cosmetics. They're actually one of the larger brands that has done very well direct to consumer. Some other ones like Casper, the mattresses, Smile Direct Club, you mentioned DoorDash, of course, has done well. 23andMe, Untuck I It. Ancestry yeah. too, I guess, but I don't know if they consider that the same as 23andMe, but they seem to have similar services. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and there's a there's a couple of those out there, and then even to be relevant, I guess you're seeing now kind of the at home COVID test. So I know LabCorp has one. Everly Well, who is a e-commerce DNA and testing company, is also doing at home tests. So there's a lot of brands that people know about and know pretty well that are both in retail and but really started out as direct consumer. Well, and we'll get to that in just a minute. I think when we were prepping, you told me when you think of direct-to-consumer, we all know those brands that you just told us, and they're relatively young brands, but the world is merging as always. A lot of those companies are now saying we want to have retail locations, and traditional retailers are saying we want to be DTC. So we'll Mm -hmm. get into that in a minute. (laughs) Nothing's ever easy. Yeah. So today's topic is five keys to direct consumer success. Again, when we say direct to consumer, that's also DTC. So let's talk about that first success factor, AJ. Yeah, so really the first key to success in the direct consumer e-commerce market is branding. And (laughs) so long-term success really requires a brand that, that resonates with people. And building a brand that people can relate to is very, very important. We see customers of ours at Fulfilled who, who build brands, they do better in the long run versus companies who just rely on a marketplace and really haven't spent the time and effort to build a brand that resonates with that end consumer. Yep. And, and so I want to differentiate something here real quick, AJ. When you say marketplace, you mean Amazon.com or Walmart? Yeah. Yeah. So versus their own branded site. Correct. Yeah. So. You know, when you get on a marketplace, you'll see, I ordered a part for my Instant Pot. You know, you'll see brands that you recognize, and then you'll see just kind of one-off electric pressure cookers or something like that that's similar, but doesn't really have a brand that is recognizable. So having that brand name and that branding around your product is very important so that people remember exactly what they're buying and who to go to when they want another one. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that Amazon is a great option. Walmart.com, I don't, I know less about, but I suspect it's a good option. But when I'm selling on Amazon.com, it's a marketplace. It's not a branded experience. So if I say I want to start my own company and I want to have it my own brand and I want to control the experience, I get less opportunity to do that when I'm on a marketplace. What the marketplace is great for is giving options. And mm-hmm. the challenge I have is, uh, if I was trying to sell, is when I say, hey, Buy my great shirt. You're going to love it. And then Amazon says, yeah, you could also buy these shirts from us or from somebody else. (laughs) They give and they take. Yeah. Well, and typically, you know, a lot of people don't, some people don't check the brand's website, but a lot of times you can actually save some money by going to the brand's website, whether it's a coupon or a lot of times they'll offer, for instance, I bought a Dyson vacuum and ordering from their website directly versus ordering from a marketplace like Amazon, uh, they were giving you a free accessory pack. And so a lot of times you'll actually save money by working with the brand directly versus buying on that specific marketplace. So you bought a Dyson? I did. I got the Dyson stick vacuum. (laughs) Do you enjoy vacuuming more? I do, actually. When I first got it, I was vacuuming everything. Now I don't touch it. (laughs) See, I bought myself a Dyson because it looks so damn fun. I yeah. bought one. I thought, this is going to be great. This is going to be like a hobby. I don't back <laughs> as much as I used to. But I don't, it's not a fun hobby. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so branding is very important. And I would say, when you talk about the marketplaces, I suspect some of those brands we just talked about don't even go on Amazon because they want to control that branding, the experience they want it to be through their website and under their total control. So the yep. experience is what they want it to be. 
Yeah, and you've even seen brands. Uh, there was a big shoe brand. I don't remember if it was Nike or Adidas, but for instance, they actually just made an announcement saying they were going to pull all their products off of Amazon, not only to really combat the counterfeiting issue, but also to control the customer experience. And that was their main point behind it was we want our customers to resonate with us and not Amazon. Yeah. And again, I think Amazon, they bring an audience and there's, so I have two daughters and I've, I've mentioned this on other podcasts. Every time I'm buying a gift for one or the other, I'll ask advice from the other one and they'll go, oh, go to this website. And I always say, can I buy that on Amazon? They're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The stuff they want isn't on Amazon. Correct. So what's this kind of leads us to the second key. Talk about the second key. The first key is branding and definitely recognize that in all those brands you mentioned. What's the second key? Yeah, so it definitely leads us to this one. Uh, really, the second key is making the customer experience a memorable one. And whether you're buying online or retail, you know, as a consumer, you really do expect a fantastic customer experience. And the best direct-to-consumer businesses have really learned to create that experience both online and offline. And you see that, like I had mentioned, with the Dyson Vacuum offering some free accessories, but also utilizing their websites and email addresses that they have to communicate with you. Building that relationship via sending them letters in the mail, really being consistent and personalized through the life cycle of that customer experience. Right. And I know, I think I bought that Dollar Shave Club, and I think I got sucked up in it when uh, all those guys, that, that viral video the was video. going around. <laughs> and yeah, they were, I don't buy from them right now. It was nothing wrong with them. They just, I just found myself having like a year's worth of plates <laughs> in my house. I didn't need them anymore. <laughs> but yeah, they, yeah. It, first off, they had this funny, quirky brand. And mm-hmm. then they had this pitch that, you know, you're buying all this expensive shave tech that you don't need. And I remember I kind of felt like I was joining a cool club when I yeah. became part of it. So they really did make that experience a good one. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, you know, making the customer experience memorable is not really anything new, but you've seen traditional retailers, especially like Target, they look at your buying habits and really kind of tailor their messaging towards your habits. And a lot of brands do do that, but especially in e-commerce, since most of the e-commerce retailers don't have a physical presence, it's really important to to kind of give them your brand story and take you along the ride with them so that you're almost invested in that brand. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's personalized. And, you know, another thing, when we talk about brands, you'll notice they have people in their brands. So like that that funny, quirky guy who's telling you you're, you need to buy their blades. Mm-hmm. You're like, he's like half comedian. I don't know if he's the founder or not, but a lot of times you'll see the founders involved telling about, you know, their experience and why they started the company. And they really want to bring it to a person to person experience. Yep. 100%. So, what's the third key to success in DTC? So, yeah, again, I guess this one, customer experience kind of leads us to the next one, which would be data, 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 data. And this one really applies to both marketing and supply chain. A lot of brands are very good about data on the marketing side, especially in e-commerce. A lot of the data that they have on people they've bought, they're able to create lookalike audiences and tailor messaging towards that consumer. But where it's forgotten a lot in direct-to-consumer is on the supply chain side. So all of these companies have, you know, they're younger and they have all this data and it's great, but only if they use it. Because the brands or companies are typically younger, 
they don't use it to their advantage. And we see that a lot. But what they should be doing is leveraging that data to manage their supply chains, their reorder points, figuring out which SKUs sell the best, optimizing their SKU mix, and doing product planning. And it's really not something easy unless you know how to do it, but having that data is very big. Success factor, yeah. Yes, success factor. It's interesting, AJ, we had a long talk about this offline. You think about somebody starting a commerce business. They might be marketing people. They're certainly entrepreneurial. They don't come from supply chain and they don't come from logistics. They come from marketing. They come from the sales side of the business. And I think they're probably pretty good at the email marketing and social media and building brands. I think they excel at that. But where it gets ugly for them is as soon as somebody says, I would like to buy this, that experience might be great online. But then when that order gets shipped to their fulfillment center, if they don't have the same care and they don't use data in the same way, they're going to have that experience fall apart really quick once it hits the physical world. Oh, yeah. And we've even, you know, to that point, we've even seen brands that really don't leverage their data and they order too much of one skew and not enough of another. And it can even put you out of business. And so having that talent or working with a company that can provide that kind of insight and help you continue to grow versus putting yourself out of business is pretty important. Yep. So you got to use the data there. I think they're probably already using the data on the marketing side, but to your point, let's use it on the fulfillment side, on the supply chain side to make sure the shelves aren't empty when you make those sales. Correct. Yep. So what's the fourth key to DTC success? Yeah. So we've touched on this a little bit, but really it's being omni-channel. Almost every brand, like you said, is on Amazon, but Brands really need to focus and diversify outside of Amazon. It can be deadly just to be on Amazon and nothing else for the sheer fact that you don't have any control over it. We've seen plenty of examples where Amazon will either make their own Amazon Basics version of a product and it starts being listed higher or even in some cases kick people off of Amazon without any notice or without any uh, indication that it was going to happen. And that can be crippling. So you need your own website, your own branded website for sure. Yep. And you should, you know, use the marketplaces. And yeah. And, and, you know, being on the marketplace is a good, good way to obviously get yourself out there. But you should drive your marketing to your own website, whether it's based on Shopify or WooCommerce, or really any of the above. Customers want to connect with your brand and not just Amazon. So what about retail? So I mean, traditional. Yeah. And I mean, I can say this for myself also. People like instant gratification. So if brands do have an opportunity, they should certainly look at either getting into a retailer or even uh, doing their own kind of pop-up stores. We've seen it with Glossier. It can almost be a marketing tool and people really do resonate. Casper's starting that too. Yeah, Casper does. um, And you'll see them, you know, in all the big box stores now also. So while it's not easy to get into those big box stores, eventually it is important for direct-to-consumer brands to branch out a little bit and have some retail presence. And it's interesting also, there's certain things that we talked when we were prepping for this. I like when I'm buying my laptop, I like to buy them from Best Buy. The reason Mm -hmm. I like to go to Best Buy is I want to lift it up. I want to put my fingers on that keyboard. Even in the COVID-19 era, I want to touch what I'm buying. And what's interesting is Best Buy, which was kind of known as Amazon's showroom for a while, they said, we'll ship that to you by tomorrow morning. So they don't have a huge inventory like they might have in the past, but they shipped it overnight to me. And 
certain things like a bed, I don't know that I would feel good about buying a bed online. I know they advertise like crazy, but kind of like the idea of laying down. And where I live, I think I live like a mile from like three bed places. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I can try them out. They're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and- yeah the- there's a conspiracy. One of my daughters was telling me about some conspiracy theory about why there's so many bed places. I'm like, okay. I believe there's something going on. Yeah. Well, and actually, and you had mentioned Best Buy. That's a very good example of a brand that was, you know, retail only. And I believe their new CEO came in and, and really beefed up their tech stack and their e-commerce. And that really kind of set Best Buy up for success, not only because you can order online and have it delivered to your house, but you can have things delivered to the store pretty quickly. You can order it for curbside pickup and you can do it all from your phone. So that really helped Best Buy. Yeah. You know, I think that's an interesting point. So we talked and we won't mention brand names because I don't want to reach confidentiality, but you mentioned that you not only work with TTC brands, but you also said there's also big established brands that have always been, you know, the retail channel are now saying, we want to get better at this DTC. And you're working with some of those companies and you said, it's a little bit of a brand new, uh, <laughs> brand new business yeah. for them. You'd be surprised because most of these larger companies, you know, their warehouses and their software tools are built for selling cases and pallets and and shipping those out the door. When it comes to e-commerce, it's completely foreign to their facilities. They're not built like that. And typically large organizations are a little slower to move. And you'd be surprised at what we see, everything from being stuck with only using a certain carrier and not being able to ship with anything else to even having to go completely outside of their systems and try and adapt. It's pretty interesting to see. And we've been working with a lot of those larger companies to help bring their brand, I guess, to a new age almost. Yep. Well, it's interesting if you, let's just say you're some sort of retail uh, or some sort of clothing line. If you can sell through your own branded website, that's ideal. (laughs) And also inside some retail stores so you can do Instagram stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And you're also doing it through the marketplaces and then maybe putting it in some other big bigger brand stores like the department stores you're going to do better than the guy who says i only do it through amazon or i only do it through my branded site yep consumers want options and we're going to get them that they do so aj what is the fifth key so yeah the fifth and last key is really you know finding the right partner on the supply chain and fulfillment side you don't know that business. <laughs> you <laughs> yep. do. They don't. <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, and really, if you think about it, whoever's shipping the actual product after it's sold is the final touch point before your product reaches that end customer. And really at scale, a lot of direct consumer brands and companies, they're very small operations and doing their own fulfillment can be cumbersome, not only because the shipping costs can be higher, but also just managing an entire warehouse team and making sure that products get out of the door on time. It's definitely not an easy task, I know firsthand, but working with a fulfillment partner who can really customize that customer experience and is willing to work with you over the phone or in person rather than a web portal is really important because that is a partner that is very has a big impact on your brand and how customers perceive your brand. Yep. If I could throw this in there, AJ, as we said earlier, or I said earlier, that People who are DTC, people who are retail in that space, they really do excel at the online world. They do a fantastic job with the branding and the marketing and the email marketing yeah. and social media. This is not their world. <laughs> as soon as it's, as soon as it has to move, this is where their expertise is probably challenged a little bit, and that's where you guys live. 
Yeah, and you know, that partner, they should be capable of really providing all the value-added services that are needed for that, for your brand to grow. You know, when you're looking for the right fulfillment partner, you want to make sure that they'll work with you, not only long-term, but making your customer experience better. So you should be looking at, hey, can they help you with procurement and sourcing? Can they help you with bringing product from wherever the manufacturer is to the U.S.? Can they help you with the manufacturing, the assembly, packaging, for instance? Really anything, like I said, to make the customer experience better. And you know, we are looking for more and more customized solutions. And if you're competing against, let's just say we're competing against uh, Costco, your, your product at Costco, Costco can make that customer experience great, right? With free stuff and displays and, you know, in-store coupons, all that stuff. It's incumbent upon us on the e-commerce side to be somehow, some way, learn to customize. And that means you need a partner who can customize stuff for you, whether it means, as you said, value added, maybe some packaging change, maybe some marketing mm-hmm. materials, whatever is needed at that last, that you're, yeah. the last you're the last stop before the customer gets it. Yeah, and really that fulfillment partner is an extension of the brand's company. You're representing that brand to the front line. And there's a lot of a lot of companies, established brands who want to go beyond that retail space. And Costco, by the way, is a great example of what not to do on e-commerce. But they must not really... be good at it because I've never <laughs> bought anything on there and I love Costco. <laughs> it's very hard to. <laughs> but really, those are the kind of companies in particular that should be working with a partner to help guide their supply chain and manage the direct consumer portion of their business. Yep. And I think it's worth noting that in this day and age, you have to have somebody who does more than just fulfillment. You have to have these people who can really, I mean, and I'm not just saying this to be nice, AJ, you're like a supply chain company. More, yeah. You're an you're key. So it, it's nice to have somebody who understands beyond just, yeah, I take that off the shelf, put it in a box for you. Yep. <laughs> And there's another point to be made here, which is e-commerce is still new. And there's warehousing companies been around for a long time who've worked maybe with retail, maybe with some manufacturers. They might be pretty good at warehousing, but fulfillment is kind of a new business when we're talking about e-commerce. So you could find somebody who's been around and could be huge, but they might not really know e-commerce. Yeah, especially the e-commerce fulfillment part. It is a whole different ballgame from traditional warehousing. And Essentially, a lot of the traditional 3PLs don't know how to do it as well because it's a lot more intense. Volume's a little higher too. Yeah, a lot of volume. And, you know, we've really built Fulfilled from the ground up as a direct-to-consumer e-commerce focused fulfillment company. So while we do can do some of the traditional 3PL functions, we don't do it as a primary. It's only really as an add-on if it's needed and it's complementary to the direct-to-consumer portion of it. this is a common theme on my podcast, I've noticed, is that my own perspective on it is the world is of uh, third-party logistics is getting very niche, meaning the guys who can deliver to houses are different than the guys who do might deliver to retail. And that's not to say you can't develop divisions or you know multiple complementary services. It's just it hasn't always happened. So the guy yeah. who moves your stuff from China to a warehouse you might not have any ability to move it the rest of the way. So you got to find the guys who specialize in what you're looking for. AJ, wrap this up. Talk about the five keys to direct consumer. Put a summary in this this topic for us. Yeah, so just to recap, really, the five keys are, one, building your brand. Very important to have a solid brand. That really kind of leads into the second one, which is 
creating a valuable customer experience so that your customers not only buy from you, but remember you and buy from you again. The third was data, data, data. So leveraging data, not only for marketing, but also on the supply chain side. The fourth was being omni-channel. So diversifying your sales channels outside of just Amazon. And last but not least, finding the right fulfillment partner to help represent your brand at its last point before it gets to your customer. Perfect, perfect. So AJ, before we wrap this podcast up, tell us a little bit what's going on with your company, Fulfilled. And I should also say, Fulfilled is spelled F-U-L-F-Y-L-D. I know a lot of people <laughs> misspell that, including me. So clown <laughs> <clown> word. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit what's going on over Fulfilled. Yeah, we actually just expanded into a larger warehouse facility. So that's given us some additional capacity to kind of handle the growth. And then we've also extended our same day shipping guarantee to a larger customer segment, which is basically all orders that come in by 2 p.m. actually go out the same day. And if they don't, we actually will pay our customers back for those orders. And, you know, I just also want to mention, you know, that's a nice thing to have. And so you do that for more and more your customers, more and more larger footprint in the U.S.? Yeah. And, you know, actually being based in Huntsville, which does seem a little off the beaten path, but in reality, it's actually a great location to ship from since in between all the major carrier hubs, whether it's Memphis, Louisville, Atlanta, Nashville, we're really a stone's throw away from each of those. Yeah. And AJ, if I could add this, and, I, and, and you've told me this, so I know it's to be true, but I talk to a lot of people in the fulfillment business, and I think your biggest costs are facilities and labor. And facilities yep. and labor in Alabama is still cheaper than facility and, and labor, say, up in Chicago or L.A. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's actually a big driver for us. You know, we're definitely cheaper and more cost effective than a lot of others. But not only that, being in Huntsville, while it sounds like Alabama is tech less, we are actually not lacking in any tech. Um, it's a great spot for it as well. <laughs> well, with all the military down there, I don't <laughs> think it is a, a low tech place. <laughs> <laughs> the world yeah. has changed. <laughs> that it has. <laughs> so that's great, AJ. I appreciate it. This is a, a great topic, and I appreciate you taking us through it. It's interesting to see the rise of these brands, but I think what's also going to be interesting, maybe we'll talk about this another time, is traditional brands that need to make this move from just selling retail to online. It's the same crazy, difficult journey. We're all learning learning new things. So oh, yeah. what I'll do, AJ, is I'll put your... LinkedIn profile in the show notes, and I'll also put a link to Fulfilled. Anything else you want to say about Fulfilled? No, I think that's great. Uh, I had a lot of fun, and thank you, Joe. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very appreciated. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.